Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture lesson this morning comes out of Mark's Gospel, the first chapter, verses 4 through 11. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. And so John, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a belt of leather around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message, after me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and to untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my Son, whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? O Lord, in the cacophony of sound this week, and the chattering in our hearts, may your voice cut through the clutter. May it cut through the clutter and sound resoundingly like that voice descending from heaven that all heard, so that we would know that we belong to you and what you would call us to do. But as we have ears to listen, change our hearts, O Lord, that we might leave this place not just as hearers of your words, but as doers of your words. In your Son's holy name we pray. Amen. The theologian Karl Barth wrote these words. He said, ministers of the word are to preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And I thought of Bart's words this week, especially as I have tried to personally reconcile what I have witnessed and what I have read, as I have tried to listen and think about what it is that God wants for us to see, to hear, and to learn through all that we have witnessed this week. These events of this week, they are earth-shattering for our country. They have damaged our national psyche. They have even affected our understanding of who we are. Inasmuch as the assassination of the Kennedys or Martin Luther King Jr. or the Oklahoma City bombing or even 9-11. We are confronted with that flood of emotions, of anger, of fear, sadness, and lament. But yet we are also compelled, are we not? We are compelled to act, to be better, 
to prove that this is not the world in which we live. And my friends, this is where the gospel of Christ, the good news of the one who came to save the world enters in, the good news of the one of the candle that shines in the darkness. This is where that battleground begins. Now liturgically, this Sunday is the feast day of the baptism of the Lord, where we remember, as we just heard in Mark's gospel, Jesus coming into the countryside and being baptized. John was already there, sort of a prophet, if you will, paving the way, as scriptures say. People were coming into the wilderness to the Jordan for John to baptize them for repentance and forgiveness of their sins. But he made it very clear that there was one even greater than he that would come and baptize, not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit of God. And so Jesus comes, comes from Nazareth and Galilee, and he comes into the wilderness, and he goes under the waters, and when he is lifted up, when he comes back up, the heavens are rent open, and the Holy Spirit descends, and we hear those words, this is my son with whom I am pleased. God calls him beloved. See, this holy act, this holy sacrament of baptism is new birth by water and the Spirit. Sam received that gift this morning, and we have our own baptism upon which to reflect upon. New birth marked by water and the Spirit marked by those vows that we took at our baptism or that we affirmed at our confirmation. You know, the first of those to renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and to repent of our sin. The second, to accept the freedom and power God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. And then that third to confess Jesus as our Savior, to put our whole trust in Him, to serve Him as our Lord in union with the church, not just this congregation, but the church worldwide, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. See, in that moment of baptism, our faith journey is confirmed and begins, and we pledge that we want to be different. We are washed over by the water, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit that lights a fire within us that burns brightly before us, just like this Paschal candle to my right. Our rebirth, our new life in faith, our new mission, our new purpose is ever burning before us because of these vows that we have taken, because of the gift of water and the Spirit. That is why when we come into the sanctuary each and every time, the baptismal font is right in front of us so that we may see it and be reminded of that gift of water and the Spirit. You see, it's that first vow, that first one that sets the stage for our journey where we renounce those spiritual forces of wickedness, we reject the evil powers of this world, and we repent of our sin. You see, in order for us to truly live in a right relationship with God, we must wash away the stains of evil which tarnish our hearts. We must cleanse ourselves of them. There's one thing that the events of this week have shown us that without a doubt, 
that wickedness and evil powers exist in our world, exist amongst us. As Americans, we must condemn the insurrectionists. As citizens of the world, we must be embarrassed that freedom's bell almost cracked. And as Christians, we must stand firm that this is unacceptable and not on our watch. That freedom for all people must ring. But even as we reject that, even as we renounce that wickedness, the hard work begins. The hard work of turning away of repentance See, because it's in repentance that we begin to realize our own shortcomings, our own faults, and that we've got to change our ways of behavior. We need to take an honest assessment of ourselves and of our lives to ask ourselves honestly, where have I been silent? Where have I not spoken up for the marginalized who have no voice? Where have I been okay with the outcome because it suits me, though the means I'm really not a big fan of? Where have I been okay with the outcome even though the means are against all that I stand for? Or ask ourselves, am I disturbed by the apparent disparity between the police actions this week versus in other riots and other protests. See, repentance is recognizing where our behavior must change in order for the outcome for God's kingdom to change. See, if we take our vow to forge a right relationship with God seriously, then we must take an honest, sober look at our lives and we begin the change right here with us, with the person that we see in the mirror. We must stand up for right always, no matter the cost. But once we have taken that first and all-important step, it's that second vow where we vow not to turn back. Once we have turned away, we must never turn back. And so we accept the freedom that God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. In order for us to remain in that right relationship, once we've begun to build it, we must do all that we can not to sully or stain our lives by the things that separate us from God. We put our lives under the yoke of obedience. We recognize that we've been given free will of choice, but that God expects you and me to make good choices wise decisions, the gospel imperative. That God expects us to lift up God and neighbor and hold them very close, and it compels us to resist evil, injustice, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to love God with our whole heart. In practical terms, this gospel imperative means putting others first, thinking about how, how our actions and our words affect those around us and even the people that we don't know. It means not being party to or complicit in conversations or plans 
or policies which harm the marginalized or denigrate others. Now, debate is good, and we've got to be a part of that debate and that discourse, but hate and cancel culture and the myriad of isms in our world, they have no place in the kingdom of heaven. They have no place in God's gospel. So if we're going to take our vows to heart, then we've got to show the world that we turn away from our old ways and that there's no turning back. No, Lord, no turning back for us. But then the third vow enters in. The third vow is the one that shows the evidence of our transformation where we confess Jesus as our Savior, we put our whole trust in His grace. We promise to serve the Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. A life restored and in right relationship with God means that we not only turn away from sin, means that we not only resist turning back, but that from here on out, our lives reflect that relationship, that the power of the Holy Spirit courses through us where Christ is Lord, where we work together in community side by side to echo his commands, to chase the darkness to the corners of the room, to be points of light for all to see. See, our faith lives cannot be compartmentalized where we only show them to the world here in this place or in Bible studies or fellowship groups of other Christians no, our faith lives have to be evident in the classroom and in the boardroom, in the lunchroom, in the living room, even in the locker room. Our faith lives must permutate everything that we do, all aspects of our lives. The Holy Spirit must fuel all that we do. That when we are angry by the things that we see, that it becomes a righteous anger that propels us to make a difference. If you're angry that people are not respecting others, or that kids are falling through the cracks, or that there's different treatments by the police, or by government officials, or by the, fo the focus on the pandemic, then what it compels us to do is to do better, to challenge our leaders to enact policies that treat us all fairly, to volunteer to help students so that they don't fall through the cracks, compels us to be better in our own behavior towards each other and towards the world around us. If we are sad and we lament the state of affairs, then we are challenged to rise above that and to show the world a much better way, a way of peace, a way of love, a way of truth. If we have fear or we know of those who have fear around us, we name that fear, but in such we also begin to seek support. We begin to help others to realize that they can be still, that God is still God of the universe, but that we are not alone that God is with us and we have each other for comfort and support. And if there is one thing that our world needs now more than ever, it is kindness. It's examples of kindness that make those difference. Don't misread and don't misunderstand or don't even underestimate the butterfly effect of one act of kindness and how it changes the trajectory of the world, not just for one person, but for the next person they meet and so on and so on. One simple act of kindness, driven out of faith, makes the difference. The calling of this third vow is to serve, to be the living example of what Thomas Akempos calls the imitation of Christ. 
preaching the gospel by reflecting the gospel in all that we do and all that we say. That, my friends, that is the power of baptism. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the power of being baptized by water and the Spirit. And so this week, this week as they clean up the debris in the Capitol, as our country sorts to the debris of our psyche, I don't know what the headlines are going to read. I don't know when I open the paper tomorrow what's going to be in this hand, but I know this much, that if I interpret what's in this hand by what is in this hand, by the word of God, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, that if I interpret that, if I renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, if I reject the evil powers of this world, if I turn away and repent of my sin, if I accept the freedom and the power that God gives me to resist evil and injustice, if I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and if I serve him as my whole Lord, no matter what happens and no matter what I read in this hand, what this hand tells me is that I can make a difference. That God has called me and compelled me to do that. And God is calling you to do the same. That's the power of our baptism. That is what is the gift that has been given to us in that blessed sacrament of water in the Spirit. So I humbly ask you to do this. Later today, before lunch, as you wash your hands, even tomorrow as you rise and you let the water of your shower pour over you, remember your baptism. Remember your baptism and be thankful. But don't do just that. As you remember it in that moment, go forth in the world and show the world the joy, the thankfulness, the gift of your baptism by water and the Spirit by living those vows in everything that you do. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.